0: Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. We appreciate you guys tuning back into our podcast, and we always appreciate the support that all of our listeners and viewers on YouTube uh, send us. You guys are amazing. Thank you for the great ratings, and be sure to uh, share this with your buds. Um, word of mouth is a big component to this, so share it with all your coworkers that you think might, uh, you know, understand our uh, <laughs> our version of freedom. But you know, we're gonna uh, definitely stab into uh, today's uh, episode a little bit. We're gonna talk about the gun and ammo shortages and uh and all of the stuff so this is sort of a, i guess economic supply and demand but there's some other deeper things that we can kind of dive into such as the people that are buying this stuff um you know a few other few other related topics as well but we'll kind of break into this a bit and in case you guys have been living under a rock uh the last two months alone have marked record gun sales which is okay. a good thing. Oh, yes. Yes, it's great that people are getting armed. Uh, that's a wonderful thing. If you guys haven't, make sure you um, refer back to some of our older podcasts. Uh, we do talk about some great um, gun options for self-defense for your home, uh, for home defense, I should say. Uh, we did do an episode where we discussed uh, lots of things that new gun owners need to make sure that they pay attention to, uh, both safety and uh, you know other Other niceties and things that, you know, you might want to look into. So there are some other podcasts that dive into the subject a little bit, but this one's primarily uh, dealing with ammo and gun shortages. There's been a lot of people that have had a hard time finding certain things, uh, you know, with the surge in gun sales, which is great. Uh, you also need ammunition, magazines, holsters, training. I mean, lots of training courses are sold out all over the country, which is great for trainers. Right. But if you're seeking training and you need more knowledge, which the um, recent events with NFAC, uh having their shotgun <laughs> discharge and, and wound three people clearly shows that there's a lack of training. Absolutely. Uh, so some of these new gun owners could certainly use some training. Um, it's, it's definitely a scary situation, but, uh, we're going to dive into this a little bit. Um, gun sales. I mean,
1: guns been selling like crazy, man. Yeah, absolutely. And you see it across the board, you walk into, um, all you walk into gun stores and you see all kinds of just bare walls. So you'll see some, there are a few of the larger, uh, stores that, you know, have, have a decent stock and you start to see a, a lot more of the uh, general items, not so much the specialty items. Um, but you, it, overall you just see a lot of bare showcases. You see a lot of empty walls and they're not really complaining about it too much because obviously that means sales are good. They would, they, you do hear complaints that they can't get them or that it takes uh, a long time to receive stock. At some point, I want to believe that they might be an allocation. Uh, Like any other uh, item, there's certain stores to get a certain allocation. And, you know, of course, if you're not a larger store, then you might get a smaller allocation or none at all. So um, along with that comes ammo. And I know that there's allocations for ammo as well, just depending on the size of your store.
0: Oh, man. And one of the biggest issues with supply uh, supply and demand is a thing, right We know that uh we've covered that in a couple of previous podcasts where you know uh there there are some niceties and economics that res, you know that revolve around the supply and demand uh type of thing, and we've discussed that, but I will mention this in terms of allocations and the way that gun stores buy uh products as well um imagine all right well, we don't have to imagine the reality right is that right now. You can sell just about anything gun-related, be it ammo, guns, accessories, what have you, right? Uh, So, where, let's say that Joe's uh, Gun & Tackle, for instance, in a rural mom-and-pop gun store in the middle of nowhere or something... Uh, might only be selling a couple of cases worth of 9mm maybe in a given week, right? You know, they have a customer that comes in and buys a couple of boxes of ammo here and there or something like that. Maybe they sell a gun here or there or, or do a transfer here or there. Um, now they see this boom of uh, sales, and they see more people than normal coming into their their store and buying something. Now, remember, we're talking at a very small level, mom and pop you know, shop or whatever, and instead of selling, you know, a couple of cases a week, they could probably sell 15 cases a week. Um, so when you have mom and, mom and pop Joe Blow Gun Store uh, call up their distributor and where they would normally only need a case or two of ammo every now and then, now they're going, hey – Give me a half a pallet. You know, they're dipping into the savings and they're saying, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, we've got a bit of extra capital stuck back. I'll tell you what. Why don't we order a half a pallet of ammo? I'm sure we can sell it right now. Oh, yeah, Uh, easily. Right? So, and you get it, right? Simple economics. If you know that there's this huge demand for something, then obviously you're going to try to procure this stuff because you know you can sell it. The issue is, is not only are the mom and pop Folks ordering a heck of a lot more and requesting a lot more, and they're putting in purchase orders for larger numbers of guns, much much more ammunition. The issue is all of the heavy hitters in terms of the giant venture capitalists. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having lots of money or anything, or that there's anything wrong with having a large, um, you know, gun shop that can deal in seven-digit orders, right? Yeah. But these guys are calling up federal. Or Winchester or Remington or whatever you know ammo slash gun company that you might think of, and they're saying, "Oh, by the way, uh, so how many rounds uh, do you have for sale right now?" Well, we got six billion or whatever, blah blah blah. Then they go, "Well, I tell you what, we normally were ordering four pallets of ammunition. Now we'll take twenty pallets. Or I tell you what, not all, we'll take whatever you have for right. sale. We'll buy every single round of it." So what happens when all the big guys come to the table, all wanting that same bone? They all want that same lot of ammo. And then all the mom-and-pop places are ordering 10 times more than they used to, to to order. It creates an ammo shortage. And this is simple supply and demand, of course, um, but guns have certainly been an issue too. Now, I'll, I'll just mention kind of quickly from our perspective um, that with um, the YouTube channel, Yeah, sometimes it's hard for us to get ammo even to to do, you know, videos on. And sometimes it's difficult for us to get certain guns. For instance, the Ruger Charger, the 8-inch Charger. Right, I Oh, gosh. It took us forever to find one of those guns to do a video on, all right? Everyone thinks that these YouTubers have some, you know, silver spoon in their mouth in terms of availability and some magic backdoor entrance to get in and, and get all the cool stuff. Now, that's not you know, untrue in some situations. But right now, with all of the availability issues, I've got to fight for the over the same scraps that you guys do in terms of trying to find stuff. So I'm at the whim of the market, just like anyone else. Yeah, I have to pay more money to go uh, win an auction to get that gun. Or I have to fight the people at the counter to get, sell me more than five boxes of ammunition so I can go out and burn it up and make a video. So this ammunition and gun availability has put a pinch on our ability to produce content as well.
1: Right. Um, all, all money is the same shade of green. It doesn't matter. Uh, so you're in there fighting alongside everybody else trying to win, win this cool stuff. Um, and I, I mean, that was evident. We, I know we went on a couple of trips and, uh, we do make it a point to to stop and, and check out some local gun stores on the way. And there was that one place that had the, the Ruger Charger. And uh, I think that was the first time we got to see it before you actually got it in your hands. Um, so it was very interesting that, you know, people are like, oh, you, you should have, you, you don't have one of these already? No, it's, it's just as hard for me to get it as for you to, to get to sell. Um, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you um, know, we've uh,
0: had some support, you know, from a, a couple of different distributors. And I mean, like we work with Big Daddy Unlimited. Um, we've done a little bit of work with Global Ordnance. And, you know, there are sympathetic, <laughs> you know, people that are like, hey, we know you got to have stuff to review. We're going to try to help, you know alleviate some of this pinch on supply and yeah we do have groups of guys that try to help us as best they can and there's always the whole uh brother-in-law deal where it's like you know you tell a guy at local gun shop hey brother (laughs) when you get one of these in can you put a bug in my ear so that i can come up there and get it to make a video i mean it's literally come down to that it's a dog eat dog but that is the nature of an open open economy a free market free market economy So people have the ability to sell or not sell their stuff for whatever amount they do or do not want to. The market will dictate what something's worth. I mean, for instance, I was buying um, cases of Triple G SS-109, unpainted Lithuanian green, basically the green tip, but unpainted uh, SS-109 M855 uh, from Classic Firearms. Okay? Rick and the guys up there, Rick and Ben and them. And uh, I was paying four hundred bucks a case for that ammunition, and I think I bought you know a pretty good bit for us to make videos and stuff. We go on GunBroker, and that same ammunition's now selling for almost seven hundred dollars a case. So it's only worth what someone will pay for it,
1: right? And on top of that, uh, on the ammo shortage, you not only have the big box retailers buying it up by the pound, so they don't even they, when they call, they don't order by the round. They are like, hey, give me you know thousand pounds or five thousand um, pounds. Now, on top of that, to to make it even harder, the same manufacturers all just got awarded military contracts for all of this ammo. You might have seen it in the news. So, there's quite a few of them that now have contracts to produce uh, specialty rounds. Now that all that stuff is still made on the same equipment that your commercial rounds are made out of, so now you have to split that time between fulfilling your government contracts as well as your commercial uh, agreements that you have uh, with these uh, big box retailers so i don't think it's going to get any better uh, in the near future if anything you're probably going to see it slow down a little bit uh, and i think that's just because of the way there's un- there's a, a certain level of uncertainty in the in the economy right now that if it gets better then great. You know, we don't have to ramp up production, The workers can come back to work and we can still fulfill our obligations. However, it could go the opposite way and things could take a turn for the worse. And then you have, you ramp up, you hire all these people to meet market demand and then everything kind of levels off. And now you're stuck with, you know, 500 additional employees that no longer demand no longer have uh, a use i mean at that point so it's like a cat and mouse between the the local economies and the demand versus you know the manufacturer taking on way more overhead than they need to of course
0: and and honestly that segues perfectly into the point that i was going to make like it's like we're finishing each other's (laughs) sentences that's great um so federal uh, I love federal ammunition, and, and it's not an endorsement or a plug for federal, but I use a crap ton of federal ammunition, okay? Federal's a great example. Just use them as an example, CCI, federal, whatever. And it could be any any ammunition manufacturer, Winchester especially, because they were just mm-hmm. awarded that military contract. Right. Okay, so, of course, we can enter whatever am- ammunition manufacturer you want. But the reason I'll mention Federal is because I feel like I, I understand where they're at in the marketplace a little more than the other companies uh, because I buy so much of it. So I'll just say this, um, that you don't want to just – you don't ramp up production, boom, like you're, you're getting to the top of a mountain and getting dropped off the helicopter because what happens if you slide – you're going to fall off the edge of the mountain, and that's it. You crash and burn. So yep. you can't ramp up too quickly. You've got to ramp up accordingly with the POs that you've got coming in and the orders you've got coming in. But you don't want to ramp up. You want to have a gradual ramping up of that production, and they're already at full production. They, I mean, the 22 line, as far as I know, I think um, Dave told me, 22 Plinkster, told me briefly that just, just the rimfire line alone, they're they're – already at maximum production and they have been just trying to catch up from the initial 22 shortage even from sandy hook yeah like they're still trying to catch up from i mean years you know what i mean like so a lot of people don't realize that these distributors and these large purchasing agents and even um some you know large gun shops just as a shop buy billions of of rounds of ammunition. Well, we're talking a lot of ammo, tons of 22 pallet after pallet of 22
1: C- ammunition. Containers, man. Mm-hmm.
0: containerfuls, right? Yeah. And then when you look at the uh, the really big box stores like Walmart or someone like that, Walmart might be a bad example because they may not even be buying at the levels they used to right. be like maybe 10 years ago. I, don't, I think they stopped. They might I mean. have even stopped. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And, and Walmart stopped selling ammunition in yeah. some stores and guns. So that affects it, but the reason I mention Walmart is because, yeah, there was a time when Walmart would like they would hammer the ammo companies to try to get that that penny mm-hmm. or that extra couple of pennies off because they'd buy container after container after container of ammunition, so there are other groups that have stepped in in terms of being like a buying partner uh to sort of take the place of that revenue that Walmart might have been spending now, I'm not saying they don't buy it, of course they do, just like Dicks or or Cabela's, or Bass Pro Shops, or any of the other big box stores buy plenty of ammunition. But a lot of these buying groups and these distributors come in, and they are just hammering uh, at this availability in terms of how much they're actually buying, and the purchase orders that they're putting in are so crazy, like these numbers that they're requesting are just nuts, Right. Uh, that now you've got these big purchasing agents battling at each other, because it becomes an issue of you can't sell something you don't have right? Anyone can sell something right now. That's the issue. That's not an issue. It's a good thing because I'm proud that my fellow citizens are arming themselves, okay? We've talked about new gun owners previously. We've talked about, um, you know, great guns for people to defend their households with and try to sort of show solidarity with our new gun owners. However, I'm not complaining that there's new gun owners, but then you've got the sort of average guys that are just, you know, consuming a certain amount of things from the firearms industry as a consumer and have been doing it for years, and in some cases 20, 30 years or whatever. Uh, it's a little tough on us when you, you go and you're just going to buy your normal amount of ammunition and it's simply uh, not there.
1: Totally. And they're also competing against the brokers that are out there um, selling, the, selling the lots of ammunition sight unseen so they'll go and they'll set up deals where they say hey i will take you know 20 pallets and they're essentially brokering a deal to make a portion of that and you know it's it's a big competition uh hopefully there's enough ammunition out there to to appease everybody and you have a couple of options you have um you know you can search and search and search you have you know, tons of different online options uh you have um you have different kits you can install into your weapons that allow you to shoot a variety of caliber. So now you're not dependent on one specific caliber. So I know mm-hmm. there's tons of drop-in kits. There's I'm not going to say there's like an, an abundance of them, but there's quite a few quality kits you can purchase to put in your rifles to allow you to become ammo independent of whatever great deal is out there, whether it's 9mm or 40 or 45 or 22. It kind of gives you a little bit more of... Uh, uh, you know, ability to to purchase a, a good deal when you see it. Um, and then you also have the reloading aspect, which is a lot of people, they look at that and, you know, personally, I don't reload. Uh, I'm actually looking at getting into reloading, but it's just, um, it just gives you a lot more self-autonomy as far as being able to load your own ammo, uh, control the outcome a little bit more, but also save a lot of money. So if you know how to do it, it's not uh, as uh, hard as it looks as long as you do everything correctly.
0: Yeah, I mean, so we actually have quite a few videos uh, on YouTube that discuss um, some of the cost of getting into reloading your own ammunition and everything like that. Uh, Check it out. We've got um, some beginners reloading videos, uh, some that are a little bit more um, intricate and advanced, um, and then some that just kind of lay out like the general cost of getting into reloading. So reloading is definitely one area of that that will allow us, again, to segue into a little bit different area of the conversation. I will mention the 22 conversion kits are a great option for those of you that maybe you have an AR and you can't find 5.56 right now. I get it. Uh a lot of that stuff has dried up pretty well. Yeah. And everything like that. Uh and it's it's hard to get and the prices have increased a lot. I will say this, that most gun stores that I've been to, uh and I travel to quite a few because we we make, you know, different stops all around the place. Um have twenty two in stock.
1: Every single one of them we went to. Yeah. Uh, had, had uh, I had I 22. have been able to
0: find twenty two. Now yeah. granted the price might be a little bit higher than normal but it is generally available and considerably less expensive than buying a 9 mil or 556 five, um but i will say that you know 22 is definitely a great substitute to at least to get you some trigger time and keep the cost uh to train down uh, reasonably lower and uh just to get more bang for your buck so to say and now we'll talk a little bit about components uh, i did get a memo from federal that said that they were going to realize a price increase on components, which would equate to a price increase moving forward on pretty much most all ammo SKUs. And again, I hate to use federal as an example, but uh, just the fact that I buy a lot of federal ammunition and that I saw that memo come across my desk, I just thought that I would mention that, that, you know, there have been component increases in raw materials, uh, everything from lead uh, to you know, jacket material, right. uh, copper. I mean, all of the raw—brass, obviously— uh, all the raw material that it takes to make a piece of ammunition, those raw material costs uh, do dictate uh, what your end result is going to be in terms of the price that you wind up needing to pay. Um, but that component cost can also equate to affecting people that reload their own ammunition as well. Um, so usually the way that the math ends up working out— is that when you go from buying factory ammunition to reloading your own ammunition, you are generally going to be able to shoot about double the amount if you load your own versus... Wow. Yeah. So it come, you get about a 50% more ammunition uh, than you would, uh, you know... Act, well, actually, it's 100%. You get double the ammunition, <laughs> so it's 100% more. Right. Um. Depending on the cartridge. Now, if you get into casting or if you get into making your own projectiles that definitely alleviates some of that cost, not to mention availability, because you're sort of self-dependent uh, uh, for your own supply of projectiles. But uh, the the projectile cost has gone up, so the general cost of making your ammo, whether it's reloading your own or buying your ammo, uh, does become a real thing. Uh, component co- uh, availability of components has uh, gotten to be quite an issue as well. So normally where you'd be able to call up a company like Brownells or uh, Widener's or Sinclair or whoever, right? Whatever your company may be, uh, where you would be able to, to contact them and order, you know, 10,000, 20,000, maybe even 100,000 bulk projectiles. Uh, those uh, projectiles simply just aren't there anymore. They've just disappeared into the market because a lot of the smaller ammunition companies buy them up so that they can then load them up and sell it as complete ammo.
1: So see, it's this whole song and dance of availability yet again. So now that we have the the ammo shortage uh, covered, so if we get into the actual firearm shortage, when you start looking at, things. I mean, I've gone into a few gun stores and you'll see like the, the lonely AR-15 on the wall. It'll be like an off brand. And you know, I'm not saying not to buy that. Um, if that's what it is, um, that'll, it'll do the job. Uh, you can always upgrade later, but, um, just be very cognizant of what you're getting. Um, don't listen to the, the sales guy tell you that, this is the best rifle on the market it might be all he has to sell you um, just do a little bit of research with our smartphones in our hands we can look it up real quick on whether it's good or not and you'll also get a rough estimate of what it should cost because guys face it when you walk into a gun store you're walking into a sales environment um, there is no uh, ethical treatment in a sales environment the you'll the 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 gun will be priced at what the market will bear and the market is dependent on where you live so what a gun costs here in Georgia might be different than what it costs in you know Wyoming i'm sure there's a price difference so do a little bit of homework and if you walk in with the expectation that you're going to have the pick of the litter i don't think that would be the case i think that if you can if if you're if you're wanting to go in and get a good gun for self-defense, understand this. Any gun will do the job um, for the most part. Um, you know, sh- shy away from 22 for self-defense, but just take a look. Uh, you might not find the n- newest and greatest SIG or HK but you'll find something that that fits the mold. Um, there is a shortage, but it's only a shortage on the most popular models. I don't I don't think you're gonna have any problems finding a high point. I don't think you're gonna have any problems finding um, something that's not a Glock or a Sig. I think you will find problems. You will have problems finding one of those two brands.
0: Well, I will say this. All right, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna necessarily like redact anything you said, but I will I will say. A little bit here that, all right, when it comes to availability on guns, um, an interesting thing is when you look at it, especially from the back end, if you're looking at it from a distributor inventory level, let's say that you're a buyer, okay, and you're going in on the back end and you see what they have and what they don't have. It does put a lot into perspective when you see which SKUs sell out the most and the quickest and then the ones that are left over. And it's actually the really high-priced stuff that gets left over because most people have instant gratification, right? They want to buy the $500 gun. They want to buy the $300 gun. They want to buy, okay, well, those are sold out. I want to buy the $600 gun. And it just keeps trickling up. After a while, it's mostly the Gucci stuff that gets left over. (laughs) So you can probably go in a shop and find a real high-end SIG or a CZ or a high-end H&K. You can probably find you know, a high-end AR or something, you know, an LMT, an ADCOR. You can probably find an H&K rifle. You can probably find even some Daniel Defenses out there for sale. Now, granted, they're going to be that type of money. Right. Know, they're very expensive. Those kind of guns tend to be a little bit of a hard sell for Joe Blow America in a perfect environment when things are completely normal. In this uh, environment, I believe what's really happened with this influx of people buying stuff is that, yeah your $699 ARs, they were gone instantly. Like, the 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 low-hanging fruit sells out really, really, really quick. So it is the cheaper guns that are actually really, really hard to get. Um, and the more expensive stuff is what you're going to find on the shelves of your gun shops. The more obscure brands, maybe some of the unknown brands that people aren't familiar with as much. Uh, and then, of course, some of your Gucci uh, gear, your high-end stuff, which I'm not saying is not good because, of course, it's great. You can't go wrong with a nice high end gun but from a standpoint of uh, obtainability to somebody um it's a lot harder to pinch off 1500 bucks for an AR than it is 600 bucks for an AR and it's then difference. when an AR would have been six hundred bucks, when they are hitting the shelves now they're seven fifty, they're eight, they're trickling up in price because that gun store doesn't know when they're gonna when they're gonna find another one for sale, so they've got to earn a few extra bucks off that piece because yeah they can't call up and order fifty units that they can sell for a fifteen or twenty percent margin. They've got to make a higher margin because they're selling less of them. So it does become supply and demand and basic economics at that standpoint and the market will always dictate the price um, and you know that's to face it okay do you spend 150 or 200 more on that gun that would have been 600 bucks or do you pony up the 1500 to 2,000 for the gun you know you can't afford and that you probably wouldn't have bought anyway? there are people there are a lot of people in that middle ground in terms of price in terms of what they can afford and uh, now, all right, I'm going to take a stab at you. <laughs> and 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 it it's fine and it's not it's just a joke. Okay. So Let's just it. take it for what it is. But if you're a Korean grocery store owner, all right, and you're loaded and you go into the local gun shop and say, "Give me a Scar and a and and, and look, and the reason I mention this cuz it happened at Moss recently, mm-hmm. all right? You know, this this Korean gentleman at, well, he's an Asian gentleman, but I believe it. It was a Korean gentleman, oddly enough, walked into Moss and was like, all right, I'm concerned about you know my safety moving forward. I'm concerned about protecting my business, and I want the absolute best. This, this, you know, I want the best shotgun. I want the best pistol. I want the best rifle. And the guy left with like twenty five thousand dollars worth of gear, and didn't bat an eye. He was just like, "Okay,
1: thank you." Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Drove off in a in an E class Mercedes or something. You yeah. know, <laughs>
0: nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that.
1: So it sounds like the the gun shortage is working very similarly to the ammo shortage in a in a way that you start off with ball ball sells out and then cuz it's the most inexpensive and now everything that's left is like your super expensive, you know, self-defense ammo that people normally don't buy in bulk. You might buy, you know, a box or two to to put in your your uh personal carry uh, and then you don't you don't plink or practice with it, but now it's all that's left. So you I mean you have guys that are dropping, you know, three hundred bucks for for uh (laughs) self defense ammo that would normally buy, you know, twice as much ball ammo. So basically you walk into a gun store and everybody's bought up all the inexpensive guns and all all that's left are these twenty five hundred dollar, three thousand dollar Daniel Defense heavy barrels and scars and things that you don't normally buy and now they're kind of in a position where that's what they have to buy. Like, that's, that's what it is.
0: You know, it's really interesting that you mentioned the whole paradigm between, like, defensive ammunition and, uh, and just standard ball ammunition because we did a full YouTube episode on it. Again, I hate to keep plugging the YouTube channel, but this is useful information that probably helps some of you guys. Uh We did a full episode on uh, the differences between carry ammo and range ammo, and there are a lot of people that are new to the gun world that are just sort of starting to understand, oh crap, all these things aren't uh you know made to the same standards, definitely different animals here that we 're dealing with um, and I will say this that a lot of the law enforcement Uh, quantities of carry ammunition such as the 50 round uh, boxes of hst or spear gold dot or um hornady critical defense or critical duty ammo or whatever um those those have almost become like a monetary commodity and of themselves because the price that those boxes those 50 round boxes of defensive ammunition sell for are pretty reasonable um i mean you can get a 50 round box of HST for anywhere from like 29 bucks on up to about maybe 35, 37. And that sounds like a lot because you're thinking, wow, that's 35 bucks for 50 rounds. That doesn't take no time at all to go through and shoot that. Right. The thing is though is that the normal commercial 20 round sleeves of ammunition are 28, $29. So you're getting, you know, 30 more rounds for almost the same money and that's almost like a closely guarded thing, right? like, people don't realize that those quantities are out there, and the ball ammunition shortage has been crazy. People just cannot buy ball ammo, and a lot of people are buying a gun for the first time because they want to protect themselves. So hopefully they see something like my video and they realize the differences in the ammunition and what they're designed to do, but they also should realize that make sure that if you... Keep your eyes peeled and look real close. You can find those 50 round boxes and that's the quantity you want to try to buy, especially if you need to test fire your gun or take it out to the range. Yes, the ammo is expensive, but you do get the added benefit of knowing that the ammo you're training with and and testing the gun out and getting used to it is the same ammunition you're going to carry. So if you shoot, you know, 150 rounds of carry ammo, yeah, it's expensive, And it might seem wasteful to some, but that is a great way to sort of proof and test that gun with that ammo and you know, hey, if I can shoot 150 rounds with no stoppages or failure to feed or issues, then we know that this uh, is a carry round that this gun is going to like. And that's sort of um, reaffirming uh, that ammo combination with your gun combination. So, whereby expensive, yes, it's still a good practice if you can afford the extra uh, money for that ammo. Uh, especially if you're not going to, you know, shoot a ton of ball ammo out of your gun, that's probably not a bad option just to sort of proof your gun in that sense. Does
1: that make sense? Absolutely. And uh, that's something that a lot of new gun owners and even uh, people that uh, own guns that don't shoot a lot fail to do. And I would encourage anybody to not, uh, your gun's going to react differently to different ammo. And the biggest issue that I see is you or you target shoot with 115 ball and you don't even know you've never shot defensive ammo through your gun and gun some guns don't like hollow points some guns don't like 124 or they might not like a specific brand and next thing you know you have to pull that gun and use it and you get one off and then you get a stoppage, so the fact, and you might need to run two or three mags of this to make sure that you- this is something you're going to be carrying with you to defend your family, defend yourself, and make sure that you're safe. You want to make sure that it runs uh, efficiently and doesn't have any stoppages. So, if you buy um, a, fi- a box of fifty, you better run all fifty and make sure that it's going to run it, um, but and not get any stoppages. And don't just shoot that you know i know everybody likes to shoot you know blazer 115 because at that time it was inexpensive and then they load up the really expensive um defensive ammo but there's tons of different like personally i use critical defense um it works really well i my i have a shield 2.0 um and it loves it um but there's certain ammo that it doesn't like um it won't it won't shoot i'm not gonna Say anything specific, but um, you know, it, it never has any issues with uh, 115 ball, it doesn't have any issues with critical defense. Um, but I tested it, I made sure I ran through two or three magazines of critical defense. Yes, it's expensive, but I carry it every day. I want to make mm-hmm. sure that it runs, and now that I know I have the peace of mind, I can not have to shoot critical defense, I can just run my ball and then load up my my ammo whenever i'm done and i'm good
0: well i'll say it
1: okay go for it
0: i i had an issue out of a batch of sig tac ammo in 380 we had some hollow point 380 ammo from sig mm-hmm. and man we didn't have nothing but problems out of it and i tested it in a ruger lcp i tested it in one of my bursas and the only other 380 we've got is one of those brown, uh, browning um, 1911 380s mm-hmm. i tested it in Uh, Brandy's 380 Browning little 1911 like a miniature 1911 tested it in that and the same thing so I, I would just chalk it up to a bad batch of ammo so You can't, and and look, I'm not saying SIG makes bad ammo. They make great ammo, but that just might have been a bad batch, right? Maybe the bullets were a little oversized and caused it not to chamber properly. Maybe the powder charge was the wrong powder charge. Maybe the brass wasn't sized properly. There's so many things that can make a gun function or not function, and you can't assume just because a round of ammo is what it is. It's like a firearm is, uh, guys and girls, a complete system, it relies on. It, it's just like putting bad fuel in your vehicle, right? If you were to have some bad gas, well, maybe the the gun won't op, or the car won't operate to its premium you know performance uh, if you don't feed it the proper thing. Or if your tire gets a hole in it, well, you know you got a flat tire. So there's all these things. A firearm is a system that depends on. It's not only a system of technology uh, that has to uh, you know have pro- parts properly made and fitted and Manufactured to certain tolerance of of certain materials, uh, but also has to be given ammunition and have, you know, magazines that are in good condition that can allow the entire system to operate. And you as a shooter are part of the system. Uh, Obviously, if you limp wrist a gun, it may not cycle. So you are just as important of a part of, of firearm operating as the firearm is and all of those those uh, song and dance of <laughs> those uh, factors have to be accounted for in order for the gun to work properly. Uh, now, I don't want to go off uh, on too much of a tangent in that direction. However, I will say um, that I, I personally, I like the Plus P HST as a carry around. Uh, the 124 grain Plus P is a nice, uh, good, medium, uh, middle of the line type of load. It's, it's got good speed um you know good nickel plated brass that will always you know press checks you can see it real easy i like the nickel plated brass uh, which most of your carry rounds are going to have nickel plated brass Mm -hmm. makes those press checks and uh, uh chamber checks a little bit easier and helps with feeding and extraction being a little bit slicker of a case a lot less chance for it to get you know caught up or have some type of an issue so um I think it's clear that, you know, the the differences between ball and and defensive ammunition are well documented. Check out our YouTube uh, video on that subject if you guys like to check it out. And uh, we do have some gel shots and some ballistics gel shots that'll really um, show you. I mean, there's some distinct differences. Um, Now, in terms of availability on guns, I know we talked about uh, guns and ammo a little bit in terms of why the availability is what it is. Obviously, it's because people are buying the crap out of everything, and we get that. Um, Let's segue over, shall we, to uh, talking about, you know, there are a lot of people that are trying to start up uh, gun stores right now and start up uh, getting their own FFL and and getting their own licensing and trying to get into the gun business. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about sort of the grandfathering uh, of business a little bit when it comes to the gun world. And I believe that's another area of the equation. That's probably worth talking about. If you're Joe Blow, um, you know, at the ammo manufacturing company and someone that you've been doing business with for 30 years contacts you and says they want 10 pallets of ammo, well, you're probably going to sell them 10 pallets of ammo. And they're going to be first in line to get it. Right. Joe Blow Gun Store that just opened up three weeks ago. All right. How lucky are they going to get to be able to have someone pick up the phone or have a distributor? want to sell them that that, that ammunition, right? Uh, when they're Joe Blow that's had a gun store open for three weeks versus a guy that's had one open for 30 years. So there's a bit of that hierarchy that you've got to fight through if you're a new guy in the gun world and you're trying to start up a shop. I'm not trying to discourage you from doing it, but just know that there are a lot of people in line and a lot of them have some long purse strings and a lot of them have been buying ammo from these uh, groups for a very long time. And a lot of ammo and guns, especially right now, are definitely allocated. And that can be really difficult when, you know, um, I'm not going to say which company it is, but there's one company local here in Georgia that buys, they have such buying power, it's insane. Like, they buy so much stuff. And whenever a distributor calls them up and says, hey, I've got 30 of these, they go, well, if you'll sell them to me, I'll take all 30. Well, when you're known for being the guy that will say, give me all 30 even if it's something I don't want, well, then chances are when they get 10 of something they know they can sell 20 times over to anybody they pick up the phone and call, chances are they're going to call you and give you first dibs. That's where the rubber meets the road. Buying the 30 or 40 of the crap things you know you don't want, but to get access to the 15 or 20 of, of XYZ that you know you can flock it in ten hours if you put out one Facebook post. People flock to the store and it's sold out in you know two hours. Right, it's gone.
1: So that, the way that you're explaining it, it sounds like my my knowledge on that is very limited. I I don't have any experience uh, owning or running a gun store. Uh, however, uh, it does sound identical uh, to how a uh, liquor store and cigar store are run. Uh, both of which I have. Um, intimate knowledge of Uh, so um basically the distributor for a, a liquor store that handles all of the different brands if you're a established liquor store and you have that relationship with that distributor they will basically give you pick of the litter on specific Brands on specific barrels, on uh, certain bottles, on special unallocated bottles, which almost all of the high end or good bourbon right now is an allocation. However, they still uh, force you to purchase a certain allotment of lower end liquor, whether it is, you know, house brands or white labeled brands or, or whatever it may be, you still have to purchase a certain amount of that to get access. To the goods because, like you said, Eric, anybody in on a good day could sell a bottle of uh, Buffalo Trace or Pappy or Sazerac or Whistlepig. Those sell themselves essentially. So, what is the benefit of them giving it to you? Now, now it's well. What are you going to buy from us to allow us to sell this to you? Because we can sell this to any liquor store that we want to 110 percent in
0: fact uh not to hijack this this uh podcast but you are 110 percent correct okay i've noticed it um here locally when and and i'm so glad that you mentioned buffalo trace because i love buffalo trace's products and i love the eagle rare you know it's really good bourbon and it's priced really fair right So I noticed that one of my local liquor stores, I went in and they had this like glass case and they had a bottle of Eagle Rare, one bottle. And they said, in order to buy this bottle of Eagle Rare, you must buy two selections that are on the barrels. And then they had these, you know, oak barrels nearby with different selections on them. And you had to buy one each, you know, choose two out of all (laughs) of those barrels. They had like maybe eight or ten selections out there. You had to buy two of those bottles just to be able to buy the the Eagle Rare at the normal price. So it's not that they were going to give you some discount. It's just to pay for the privilege of buying the Eagle Rare, you had to buy something else. So that's very much how the gun companies operate as well in terms of the distributors, especially, you know, if you're Joe Blow and you're trying to order 10 of one SKU, chances are you're going to be dealing with a distributor or something and not directly with a gun company. Now, some some, uh, gun companies do go direct, but not many. Mo- most uh, are still on the model of dealing through distributor uh, networks and things like that. I think um, the only people going direct right now that I know of, I think Steyer still works directly. Oddly enough,
1: right? They're uh, still here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude, Steyer still still makes. Where uh, they still bring in stuff? I mean, Steyer is still direct as far as I know. Hopefully, I'm not wrong there. But there are not many. Most people, you know, still go through a uh, buying group or a network or something like that. Um, I'll just mention that you know the liquor business is probably very similar. Okay, now yeah. I don't have any any uh, dealings with that directly, but I will say that I would imagine that the buying power that some of these large liquor stores have is very very similar to the gun world in that you know to get that twelve uh, piece case of Eagle Rare, you know you might have to order fifty uh, gallons of normal bourbon from Buffalo Trace, or you may have to order some. Uh, uh, Colonel Taylor's, or he may have to you know, order uh, maybe five cases of their vodka, which the Buffalo That's, Trace vodka that... is really good. Vodka is a byproduct uh, in terms of how you can... you know, If you make bourbon, apparently you're in a position to be able to make vodka really easily too. So vodka is not a... As far as I know, I don't... I did take the... Uh, and this is getting off subject, but I did take the tour of the Buffalo Trace distillery and I can't remember if the gentleman there said that the vodka was a direct product of the process of making bourbon, or if making the vodka was just a convenient uh, byproduct because of the way that the bourbon's made. I can't remember the mm. distinction between those two, but anyway, you get the idea. Right. That, you, know, you may have to order a bunch of vodka that, you know, I mean, it's good vodka, I tasted it, but it, it may not be what you really want, but just to get access to the stuff you really do want. That's and that exactly how it works. In the, in the gun world, too.
1: Yep. And it, that's not just that, but also um, it, they do the same thing with um, Rolex watches. If Rolex watches all of their sport models right now, whether it's the Daytona, the Submariner, uh, the GMT Master 2, every single sport model, they, the all of them, they're, there's a wait list for them. So not only do you have a wait list, you have to go into the dealer and you sign up to be on the wait list and then the dealer will this is a little dirty secret. They have you, you have to spend a certain amount of money in order for them to actually sell you the sport model because the sport models are so hot right now. You're like, Oh, well, if you buy this, uh, you know, day date, which is a a president, uh, it might cost, you know, 20 grand. And then you have a date just too, which might cost, you know, 10 grand. Well, if you buy those, we'll allow you to buy one of our sport models, when they become available and I'm like this is ridiculous man so it's I don't think it's I don't think it's uh, exclusive to to the gun world I think it's just one of those business models that's when supply and demand hits it's that's that's kind of what they fall back on
0: well you know you're absolutely right and uh, and and I don't want to you know go too far off of the gun subject but I will mention too that the music industry is very much the same way okay if I'm a music store for instance and I want to buy, uh, you know, I want to deal in... I'm not going to... Okay, I'll just say Fender. All right, say I want to deal <laughs> in Fender. Well, then Fender may require me to buy, you know, a bunch of stuff. All right, so say that maybe my my music store, uh, let's say that I specialize in custom shop Fender or, like, high-end Fender, or maybe I specialize in, like, electric guitars, and maybe I don't even want to deal in basses or entry-level gear or, like you know, the cheaper, like, Squire packs and stuff like that. Well, Fender may say, no, no, no. You don't get to just buy the custom shop guitars. You have to buy a certain amount of American standards. you got to buy the Mexican guitars. You've got to buy the, you know, the strap packs and the cheap entry-level stuff. Oh, and by the way, you've got to buy some basses. you got to have a certain amount of artist series ones. So, without getting too far down that rabbit hole, it's not exclusive to the gun world. Uh, the music industry, I mean... I mean Gosh, cigars, yep. uh, alcohol, doesn't matter. Any type of commodity you can think of, I would imagine that, uh, and based on my experience, that that's a pretty normal thing. Unfortunately, uh, to do with, yes. You know? They're going to want to sell you a range of products that include the products you want. And I think that the most successful gun businesses, in terms of uh, distributors, mom and pop, doesn't matter who you are, the most successful ones I've noticed in my experience are the ones that buy every dang thing that comes across their screen. Because they, you know, that that salesman at that distributorship, they're going to be like, "Holy crap. I mean, this guy, he don't care what it is. He just buys it." And those are the people that get the allocations.
1: Yeah, and I I know that we went a little bit off off track, but I hopefully we were able to paint a picture for you of that how that is not exclusive to the gun world um so if you're like oh the the gun gun industry is is so messed up it's not just the gun industry it's pretty much every commodity like item uh is very similar oh yeah a
0: hundred percent i mean so again i'll I'll get back to just kind of quickly you know stabbing out a little bit here on the manufacturing process and things so another thing about the manufacturers, the reason that they don't ramp up production super hard and super fast and go just all in, right, is because they also don't want to compromise quality, uh, whether it's an ammunition line that is known for a certain amount of quality, such as like a federal HST or maybe a federal uh, gold Medal match ammo or whatever right. the line may be. Spear gold um, dot. Spear gold dot, whatever it is. Okay. Or if you're a gun manufacturer that – maintains a certain level of quality and a certain level of inspections that each part goes through, whatever process you have for quality control. See, it's, it goes further than just ramping up production. Yeah, anybody can spit out more units by ramping up production, whether it's buying more machines or hiring more people, but you don't want to compromise the quality of your product in doing it either. So I think it's smart to see that a lot of these companies are not jumping the gun And outrunning, like, you know, their quality control or the quality of their finishes, um, you know, or the testing and evaluation that they do internally in terms of batch testing certain lots of products, be it ammo or guns or parts or whatever. So uh, it's more than just increasing the production capabilities, it's also a limitation on how well you can test your product and make sure that you're not having a reduction in quality that right. results yeah. from the increase of that production as well. I mean, that's why Rolex is, you know, as a watch, is so fewly made because, it, okay, if you spit a Rolex out at five times the rate, the person buying that Rolex is going to go, all right, now this can't be good as a Rolex. It took X amount of time to make. Correct. You know what yeah. I mean? So there's that, there's that um, sort of, uh, I, I guess, vision that we have. In terms of the way we our perception of that situation, it's like you know a company that was spitting out x amount of units. If they start spitting out five times as much, you're going to think, "All right, what did they (laughs) give up to make that happen?" Oh, what what's the reduction in quality that I have to deal with here? So that's very uh, a very real thing is the perception of that ramping up as well in terms of the buyer confidence, in terms of the confidence they have in that brand and the sanctity and uh, legacy that might surround that brand.
1: It's interesting you used Rolex as an example because their, their production is a little bit slower, but it's so perfect that if you see something wrong with a Rolex watch, like if, you, if the paint is, is some, there's any type of issue with the dial, it can be attributed to being a replica or a fake. I mean, if anything looks off, you know it's either a replica or a fake. Like That's how much credence you can put into the perfection uh, of that watch. Um, and they don't really compromise on that. So you'll see people say, oh, this looks off. Like the the fine print on the dial or anything could be a little bit suspect and you know. You're like, hey, that's not, that's not legit because they never leave the factory in unperfect condition. So much so... That if you do have a, def- a defect, most of the time, it's not, uh, it's not just that watch. It would have been like a run of those watches, and those go on to be collector items. If they are verified to be um, like a, a small run of imperfect watches, those now are collector's items, and they're worth like double the value. And a good example of that is a Rolex Daytona uh, inverted six. They put the six on backwards on the dial, so there was a very short run of those and now they sell for a tremendous amount of money because yes they are legit but it was a very small number of them and now these people have collector's items but this happened years and years and years ago but that's how that's how perfect they come out
0: yeah i mean and honestly another great way to, to segue into that as well and and i hope that no one holds this against me for for calling these people out. But, all right, Colt, okay? <laughs> all right, so not only did Colt recently, uh, you know, at one point they stopped selling uh, AR-15s to the civilian market right. because they want to concentrate on military sales, whatever. And then they recently, what did they do? Oh, crap, man, look at all this money. Hell, yeah. yeah. And then they, they said, oh, we're going to start selling them again, which, okay, I get it. Economics dictates, well, heck, if you can sell it, sell, sell, sell. I get it. But another one deeper down the rabbit hole, right, is they were resting on the laurels of some of their older products. All right, so you look at the Colt Python. All right, probably one of the most instantly recognizable Colt pistols that there possibly could be is the Python. Oh, yeah. It, it is a fan. The original Colt Pythons are an amazing piece of firearms technology. They are super well fitted, they fit the hand perfect. They are a masterful piece of engineering. They are great revolvers, and that's why they're so expensive. So, what did Colt do? Oh, we're going to reissue the Python. Okay. Well, the tooling and the engineers and and all of this stuff, you know, the original people that make that hand fitted these Pythons. I mean, I, I would imagine a lot of them are gone. Yeah, now. they're long gone by now. Uh, well, and they've passed, unfortunately. You know. It, so the thing is, how do you? Reimagine a product in a way that you can manufacture it and sell it for at least a reasonable cost compared to what originals are selling for, okay? But do it in a way that you have to basically beat yourself. So you're competing with everything that you've already made. That's the issue with a company resting on its laurels after a period of time, right? I mean, one could argue Gibson, Fender in terms of guitars, or Colt, or any of these large companies have been around a long time, You're when you manufacture a new product, you're competing with everything you've ever made in the history of your company. That stuff's out there. It doesn't just melt and disappear. Like, it's still there. So if you're going to make a product that beckons to the legacy of your company and is a nod to one of the greatest pistols that you've ever made in the history of your company, well, Colt's been around a long time. Oh, yeah. But one of the best revolvers i mean man the python's one heck of a revolver if you're gonna put that name on that revolver and it's gonna say python on it someone better pick it up it better be a dang python and i know some of the early units were plagued with a
1: ton of problems i saw a lot of issues yeah with greg this. had a
0: problem with his uh, hickok and gosh i mean tons of i saw you know initial findings from writers and and just buzz around the internet was that you know they had issues with mm-hmm. them that's not a that's not a gun you have an issue with. If I pick up an original article, Python, from back in the day, that sucker is going to shoot, and it's going to be a attack driver, and it's going to work, and it's going to be the smoothest, best revolver shooting experience that you've probably ever had in your entire life. I've shot them, and they are by far one of the best shooting revolvers I've ever
1: handled. And you know, I for the longest time It's a Rolex of guns. It is, and I've I mean, they're beautiful pieces and that kind of put me on to getting a three twenty seven. For the longest time I was like, it's so ugly, it's beautiful. I mean it's a you know, scandium and titanium and pug nose completely something that you don't need. Um but it's something that you want. I'm like, man, I want one of those. It's so it's so interesting. And then you start going down the rabbit hole of doing a research, and you hear about some timing issues because it shoots three fifty seven. Uh, and they said, "Hey, if you if you shoot three fifty seven out of this gun, it's going to give it timing issues." And I said, "You know, why don't you just fix that from the beginning? Because if it shoots thirty eight and three fifty seven, but you can only shoot thirty eight out of it, why, why? Why? What's the issue?" So that's kind of been the thing I want to see if they'll work that out before I drop some coin on it. Cause it's not a cheap gun, um, by any, by any means. Um, and hopefully if they work all that out, but it just like, if you're gonna, if you're going to call something a performance center gun and you're going to put the price tag on it, like it's a performance center gun. My expectation is, is that you're not going to have timing issues out of it shooting three fifty seven, which is a load that it's designed to shoot. Yeah, you should have fixed that from the beginning.
0: Yep. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways to spin uh, that type of arrangement. Uh, The one thing that I'll sort of end on with uh, today's podcast is I'll just mention that I know earlier I said that there's a chance that you would go into a gun store and find some weird, unknown brand that maybe you've never heard of or something like that. I guess what I would say is be careful. Um, You know, there are a lot of fly-by-night companies that, you know, some guy has a machine shop in his basement and decides to he wants to make guns because he sees all the, you know, stuff going on with guns. And look, hey, I'm all for it. You know, do your thing. I'm all for being an entrepreneur and, and chasing a dream and making something happen. But, you know, give some of those guys a chance, you know. Go out, shoot them, check them out, see what you think. I mean, there might be some diamonds in the rough out there in the, in the gun counter that, yeah, it might be a... Uh, maybe a startup company or a company that uh, hasn't been around quite as long, but maybe they're trying to establish a legacy of their own, or maybe they're trying to develop a cool product for a great price. So don't be afraid to check out something that's a little foreign to you. Um, You know, check it out. It might be the next uh, best thing that you didn't know was out there, Uh, but folks just have to give things an honest shake. So all I'm saying is look at things sort of objectively and just, Look at each gun as its own individual, and don't be afraid to check out new things. And don't think that just because, you know, the most uh, predominant brands aren't in the the counter at your favorite gun store, that what's in the counter, if you're really in need of a way to protect yourself, isn't a viable option to defend yourself.
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, a great example of that is uh, your Type 57. I mean, that's you let me shoot that, I would never— in a million years pick that up out of a showcase and say you know what I think that's going to be a great gun I'm going to buy it uh, I probably wouldn't even uh rent it if I was at their range if they had something like that available but it's a it's a beauty to shoot I mean it's so smooth I really really enjoyed that gun and it just be, it surprised me so I would agree with you 100% like if you're going to like give them a fair shake don't don't knock it until you try it that's right Uh, Well, guys, thank
0: you so much for, you know, tuning in on today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. I know we went uh, down several proverbial rabbit holes. That's right. But it's okay. Um, It it really does come down to a supply and demand issue. Uh, But in terms of the availability of guns and ammo, uh, just know that it's not going to break loose anytime soon. Uh, We are settled in and dug into the trenches uh, figuratively in terms of really sitting on a long-term shortage of firearms and ammunition. So uh, try to be open-minded and understand that it will get better. It's going to take a long time. I know many, many gun and ammo companies are backlogged, in some cases over a year, on certain SKUs. So uh, we have to settle in for the eventuality that this is the new normal and that uh, the rate that guns and ammo are selling right now uh, across the nation are at an all-time high never been this high in the history of the united states so considering that it's actually not quite as bad as we might think it's 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 a reduced amount but it it could be worse always could be worse absolutely guys have a great day thank you for listening in uh definitely go over to ballistic Inc. and pick yourself up a snazzy t-shirt uh those funds support our podcast and our youtube channel thank you so much and uh, we really appreciate it. Leave us a great rating, and we will see you next week. Remember, we post every Friday here on Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. Make sure you tune in. We'll see you. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. You can support us over on Ballistic Inc. by picking yourself up some merch. And remember, guys, dangerous freedom. Have a good one.